As the demand for telemedicine grows, so does the need for connectivity. 5G meets that need. Qualcomm remains focused on giving doctors and patients superior, security-rich 5G connectivity. Learn more at qualcomm.com slash inventionage. This is the Rich Dad Radio Show. The good news and bad news about money. Here's Robert Kiyosaki. Hello, hello, hello. This is Robert Kiyosaki, the good news and bad news about money. And today it's about education. So today we're talking about a very important subject called education. And, you know, to many people, I don't know what happened to them, but they have this religion called you got to go to schools and get a job. And I think that's the problem. It's become a religion and not a spiritual thing anymore. But my first book, which I don't recommend anybody read, it was called, If You Wanna Be Rich and Happy, Don't Go to School. Because the proof of the pudding is right now, suicide rate among young people is up. And kids have no money. And parents have no money because the bloody school system sucks the cash out of them. And that's why I wrote, If You Wanna Be Rich and Happy, Don't Go to School. Please don't read the book because I got more hate mail for that book than any other book, more, more than Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So all your parents out there who have this mantra, go to school to get a job, go to school to get a job, well, you gotta go to Harvard, you gotta go to Stanford. You know, the proof is in the pudding right now that school is actually, or maybe, I won't go into, because it's politically incorrect, maybe school is damaging your kids. You know, what if school was actually damaging your kids? Would you really keep them in school, or are you one of those damaged kids right now? Are you there on suicide watch? <laughs> Wondering what happened? You know, why am I working at a job I hate? Why am I not making any money? Why is the cash being sucked out of my pocket? And I have no future, you know, AI, you know, I'm probably gonna be an Uber driver, but Uber drivers will be out of, out of work pretty soon. You know, what the, what the heck happened to my life? You know, maybe the problem started because he went to school. So today we have a very interesting guest and uh, he has a fascinating book. It's called The Coddling of the American Mind, How Good Intentions and Bad Ideas Are Setting Up a Generation for Failure. And joining me in studio today is Bob Turner. He has kids, my wife Kim and I. You know, we, we, we don't have kids. I don't know if that was smart or stupid, <laughs> but most of our friends say it was the smartest thing we ever did, those who have kids. And I tell you, I feel for parents, because man, that is a 24-7 job that I really didn't want to undertake. So with that, given that I have a bias against kids, we have Bob Turner filling in for Kim here. So our guest today is Greg Lukianoff. Is that pronounced Lukianoff? Uh, it's uh, Lukianoff. Lukianoff, thank you very much. And you are a First Amendment attorney. You're a New York Times bestseller and President and CEO of FIRE Foundation for Individual Rights and in Education. See, you're one of those radicals, aren't you? <laughs> I've been, you know, if you count free speech as a, as a radical idea, and I think it's, a, it's always a radical idea. It is getting more radical. Censor, yeah. It is getting more radical, isn't it? In a sense, it is getting easier to say the wrong thing. And I wrote a book called Freedom From Speech back in 2014, talking about how increasingly in American society we seem to be walking on eggshells, partially out of fear of losing our jobs if we say the wrong thing on social media. Or oh, tr oh, try me. Lawsuits. Yeah. When you have money and you say something stupid, you get sued. Yeah. And it's not even stupid. I have no free speech anymore. 
So. Yeah, well, it, 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 lawyers kind of ruin everything, and I say that as a as a, a lawyer, lawyer myself. <laughs> so, Bob Turner, uh, how long have you been with the Rich Dad Company? I've been with the Rich Dad Company 16 years now, and uh, the transformation as far as uh, what I've learned, uh, alternate points of view from Robert and such, is really um, – you know, allowed me to to talk to my kids about certain issues that most parents don't. And what are your concerns? How old are your kids? Uh, my daughter Sarah is eighteen, and my son Jacob is sixteen. And did they get uh, one still in school then? Correct, correct. And your daughter who's eighteen. Did she just get out of school? She just got out of school in, uh, this past May. And, and what's her um, plans now? Well, she wants to go into a nursing program. That's good. Just for the you know the idea that's such a shortage profession, of nurses. Profession, yeah. Correct. Uh, my son is still undecided. He he doesn't know where he wants to go, I and mean, he's he said such exposure to, um, you know, the rich dad message that he's he doesn't want to do the yeah he doesn't want to yeah. go to college at the moment. So uh, again, this is Greg Lukianoff, and his book is the coddling of the American mind: how good intentions and bad ideas are setting up a generation for failure. And I'm glad you're here. Like I said, my first book: you, you want to be rich and happy, don't go to school. I took the heat for that one. I don't want to take any more heat, so I'm glad you're taking the heat now, Greg. <laughs> so tell me, why you did know, you write such a controversial book? Well, you know, um, I've been working on campuses defending freedom of speech since 2001. And, uh, you must be a masochist. That, you must be a masochist. <laughs> well, you have to develop a thick skin and a sense of humor and, in my case, learn cognitive behavioral therapy to sort of talk yourself down from the ledge from time to time. What is cognitive what is that? Because you're talking to a former Marine. You know, I don't know that stuff. Well, cognitive behavioral therapy actually goes pretty well with being a Marine. And oh, you good. actually probably did some of this to yourself without knowing it. It's more or less, um, it's, it's, it's therapy, um, but only in, uh, kind of a name only. It, it really is a way of talking back to your more sort of exaggerated thoughts in your head. You know, oh, okay. that, that if right. something goes wrong, that you're going to, you, you know, you, you, this is going to be the death of you. That if a date doesn't go okay. well, yeah. you're going to die alone. All, all of these kind of things that anxious and depressed people do can actually be uh, um, defeated more or less uh, by getting a habit of actually seeing those exaggerated things you say in your head. And the premise in the book is, is that uh, higher education, far from uh, teaching people to kind of calm down and sort of talk themselves down from things that cause anxiety and depression, uh, we unfortunately think a lot of higher education is actually talking people into it. But so let me ask you this. So what happens, um, I mean, isn't suicide rate up? Suicide rate is up, and, then here, and here's one of the things. Um, it, it, that's up, uh, for particularly, it's up 25% for young men, which is horrifying. Like, uh, that, that's very high. Um, and just, and that's, that, that's comparing the last two years to the previous, uh, to the first decade of the 21st century. But for girls and young women, it's up 70%. Holy absolute, It's terrible. It's absolutely terrible, and the and what's concerning here is that's across the board. That's not just people who go to higher education. So what? Um, what as, so what did you find out? Why are they? Why are they off at the prime of life? Life's well, just getting the, started. The the the, the strongest um, uh, in, indication is that social media has a lot to do with it. Well, that's not um, social media. It's anti-social media. Well, that's what I right. Call. Yeah, I don't know how and anybody we, survives on that thing. 
And we talk about it, um, you know, in the book that we devote a you know a chapter to it. We talk about social media a lot in the book. Um, and when people are kind of skeptical of like, well, how could social media be making it this much worse for girls? And the, the thought experiment I have them do is, is go, imagine the absolute worst, nasty environment of junior high school that you can remember, and imagine that 24 hours a day for the rest of your life. So the dark side of kids comes out in anti-social media because they, they, they're, they're faceless, right? I mean, yeah. they, they can just make any comment they want and... You can't no no retaliation, no face to face, and, and it hits girls harder, partially because a lot of the way that that, that um, girls show aggression is is through, um, uh, you know, everything from gossip to you know, sort of relational uh, approaches, which unfortunately social media makes incredibly easy. Boys are somewhat less affected by it because you know the main way boys re- interact with. Uh, aggression is physically, and when it comes to blowing off steam, uh, we tend to play video games rather than, you know, uh, go on Instagram. So, Bob, what are your concerns for your 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 boy? Let's say right now. Well, I mean, relating to social media, um, we try to limit that in the house. And uh, Mark. good luck. Yeah, it, it's it's not easy, and it's, it's a matter of okay, we're having dinner. Put that thing down. Sh- you know, shut the phone off and uh, set it aside because this is the time to be present. And yeah. Uh, yeah. So, 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 uh, Greg, you said something. I, I read the start of your book, and I love the start. It's fantastic. <laughs> but you give the example of peanuts, right? And yeah. the, the example is 3% of the population has an allergy to peanuts, right? Yep. And it could be deadly for them. Yep. But by saying you can't have peanuts, the, aller, the what's it called, the allergy or the, the power allergy of, rate goes up 17%. So yeah, by protecting it, it, the kids from peanuts, they actually become more aller- allergic yes. to, to peanuts. Yeah, well, and and that's uh, and that's both you know directly uh, making our point that, that essentially our attempts to protect our kids are actually backfiring in a very uh, specific way, but also you know making the larger point that a lot of these things that we're doing both on and off campus to try to protect you know students' feelings and protect them from uh, the, you know negative interactions with each other are also uh, in the long run really quite harmful. Yeah, because you know like uh, I grew up. If my men friends, my you know, boy, not boyfriends, but you know, the guys that hang around, if they weren't teasing you, making fun of you, they didn't like you. Oh, of course, yeah. You know what I mean? And, but now you can't say anything. And, and what I see on campus, um, and you know, my work at, at Fire, um, I've seen buddies get in trouble for having uh, on jokes that were completely fine between the two of them, and they're yeah. even making fun of each other. But because a third party who Pardon. wasn't heard it, uh, they end up getting in trouble. And it's like, wow, this is, you know, I also sometimes point out that some of this stuff even feels downright classist because, you know, I started working in restaurants when I was 11. My, my, all my best friends are all, you know, working class people. And the way you could tell who was the closest by was whoever would hurl the most abuse at each other. Yeah, I know. Your friends are always making fun of each other and they can't do that anymore. Yeah, well, the thing is, I, I feel like they probably just have to hide it more, partially because, if, you know, if people overhear it, it yeah. it's as if for some reason that third party is so horribly traumatized by yeah. hearing, you know, male banter that you have, it has to pretty much go underground. But, you know, when somebody says, well, girls don't do that, man, I've some of them, you know, I've, I've known a lot of girls, they're just as vicious as guys are, maybe more vicious, you know, the knives are sharper, should I say. And... <sighs> 
And, and unfortunately, social media actually makes um, the, those kind of nasty uh, behaviors that, for you know, that are synonymous with junior high kind of spiral out of control. Right. So you know, before we go on, I want to get to the point. Which came first? You know, the chicken or the egg? Is mm-hmm. it schools causing this, or are the kids causing this, or are the uh-huh. parents causing this? Because because I'm going to bring up a word you talk about. You call it about trigger points, and now uh-huh. in school. A teacher cannot say anything that might upset the student. That's a trigger point. So before we yeah. go into which came first, which came first, the teacher, the parent, or the student? Why, why, can't, uh, you, why know, can't you say stuff? It's always tough to figure out which came first, and a lot of times it's usually uh, things kind of happen in their own trends and then they collide. And a lot of the book is trying to talk about different trends that are all colliding at the same time and all kind of come to the head in, in 2013. Because... K through 12 was already teaching sort of a right not to be offended um, mentality uh, to, to, to students, uh, which is, of course, incompatible with, with First Amendment. But at the same time, you know, social media isn't, you know, didn't come into existence because of higher education or K through 12, and that sped everything up. We also have the fact that increasingly we live in uh, communities that are more sheltered from people who don't share our points of view. And this comes down right down to the city block, um, right down to the voting counties. We live in more politically homogeneous areas than we did 30 years ago by long measure, and we dislike each other more about it. So there are all sorts of pressures that are actually making it harder and harder to constructively disagree or to just speak your mind, you know, or for that matter, ever be clumsy about speaking yeah, your what, mind. What's, what's happening is more than that. It's more acrimonious. People are more, you know, like, you know, I wrote two books with Donald Trump, and that's I mean, as we're writing, wearing the scarlet letter, you know, I mean, how can you, even our own families, I can't mention that I wrote two books with Donald Trump because they hate him so much. I said, geez, give me a break here. Why are we so what? acrimonious? Why are we so at each other's throats? Why are we so adversarial today? So when yeah. we come back, that's the really question I want to ask you is because it's at the point, if you're a freedom of speech, you know, First Amendment attorney, and CEO of Foundation for Individual Rights and in Education, FIRE, what are we to do? I mean, how do we protect ourselves from, you know, trying to say nothing and be politically correct all the time? I mean, this is ridiculous. You're listening to The Rich Dad Radio Show with Robert Kiyosaki. What is your number one expense in life? Your number one expense, it's taxes. And I've asked the question is, how come there's no financial education in school, but why isn't there education on taxes either? You know, they tell you to save money, which is stupid. They tell you to invest in the stock market, which is stupid. But what they teach you about taxes? So here we have Rich Dad Advisor, Tom Wheelwright. We're talking about his revision for his book, Tax-Free Wealth. Welcome, Tom. Thanks, Robert. So what's the Tax-Free Wealth about? What, what's different this time? It's a rev- revised edition. Well, so what we did was, is we ha- this is the first major tax reform we've had in 30 years, 2017. Right. It was 86 was the last one. 86 was the last one oh. back when I was in Washington, D.C. So many guys got wiped out because of that tax change. <laughs> they did. They yeah. did. It wiped out an entire industry, savings and loans. This new tax law is just as big, but in a very different way. It affects different industries. You know, the tax law is always a series of incentives. And the question is always which incentives and which ones apply to me. And so the, the key to revising tax-free wealth was what is it, what changed so much in this new tax law that we can 
absolutely take advantage of, I mean, seriously, the amazing incentives. For example, I mean, the bonus depreciation, for example, for real estate is unbelievable. You buy a, a, a million dollar apartment, get a $300,000 deduction or more the very first year. So if you want to make more money and pay less taxes like Donald Trump and myself, get Tom's book, Tax-Free Wealth. Don't be like Charlie. Charlie is that do-it-yourselfer who does himself in. Do-it-yourself is good for tile and grout. It is not good for asset protection. Charlie thought he'd save a few dollars forming his LLC online. With no guidance, he did it wrong. When he sold the property, he lost thousands and thousands of dollars. He did himself in by trying to do it himself. Don't burn yourself. Use Corporate Direct to set up and maintain your LLCs and corporations. Corporate Direct is owned and operated by attorney and rich dad advisor, Garrett Sutton. Garrett wrote the bestsellers, Loopholes of Real Estate and Start Your Own Corporation. He is Robert Kiyosaki's attorney for asset protection. He and his team will do it right. Visit them at CorporateDirect.com or call 800-600-1760. Mention Rich Dad and receive $100 off your formation fee. That's CorporateDirect.com. CorporateDirect.com. Log on to RichDadRadio.com while you listen. Now back to Robert Kiyosaki. Welcome back, Robert Kiyosaki, the Rich Dad Radio Show, the good news and bad news about money. And you can listen to the Rich Dad Radio Show anytime on iTunes or Android, and all of our programs are archived at RichDadRadio.com. And the reason we archive them is because we're, we're an education company only. We don't sell products or services or investments or securities. So we recommend that if you're into learning, listen to this program again, especially if you have children, especially if, you know, what Greg Lukianoff, excuse me, Greg butchered, it's like Kiyosaki. But anyway, <laughs> you know, if suicide rate among boys is up and girls is up 70%, if I was a parent today, yeah, I would be looking for another way of solving this because it's not just the kids. I have never, you know, like Thanksgiving is no longer Thanksgiving. It's those who voted for Trump and those who didn't vote for Trump now. I mean, that's what it's coming down to. And right. the other side of the table, they all love Hillary, so I'm in trouble. You know what I mean? There's no, there's no freedom of speech anymore. There's just hate on Thanksgiving. So anyway, we're gonna find out what's causing this and what advice you have for parents, especially if you have young boys and young girls and you're planning to send them to college to get in debt for the rest of their lives. Yep. So what would you say to parents? What's what's happening? Oh, by the way, the, his name of his book is Coddling of the American Mind. You should read it. How good yeah. intentions and bad ideas are setting up a generation for failure, failure. <laughs> so what would you say to parents, sir, Greg? Well, f well, first thing we always say is we want to hear from parents too, because uh, we have a, we offer we have a whole section on solutions on on what can be done, and things start as simple as trying to raise you know what are what are called free range kids, um, where they get you know uh, more unstructured time, where they get uh, actual play time, you know that's that's kid directed. All of this sort of overstructuring that the helicopter parents do. What's a, what's is, a helicopter parent? Because I flew helicopters. <laughs> <laughs> Hel helicopter parent is basically someone who um, uh, micromanages every aspect of their kids' lives. Usually, and these are mostly you know upper middle class, middle class, and the kind of people who are trying to get their kids into um, Stanford, uh, Harvard, yeah. Stanford, Harvard, etc. Um, oh, they're but, also but, called tiger moms in Asia. 
they're a little different, little, little, little different than tiger moms, um, but they, they call them lawnmower mom, uh, uh, moms now too. That essentially they're just trying to like blast through every obstacle for their uh, for their kids, and it shouldn't surprise anybody that this approach is harmful. But we're getting to see that this is probably contributing to the anxiety and depression that we're seeing among students, why partially would, because why would mom running, you know, being a, a blocking, uh, pulling guard for you? Why would that cause a depression? I mean, my mom had big shoulders. She could take out any linebacker. <laughs> well, because it implicitly gives, the, gives your children the message that they can't handle this stuff on their own. If you schedule your kid from 6 o'clock uh, in the morning to 10 o'clock at night, you intermediate every conflict that kid has, you're very, giving them a very strong message that, you know, mommy and daddy need to do this for you because you actually can't do it. And there's a psychological concept called locus of control, and it's exactly what it sounds like. That essentially if you feel like you have no control over your own life and that basically you're, you're just helplessly in the hands of other people, uh, if you don't develop that sense, you tend to be anxious and depressed. And so, like, we're, we're doing stuff that we had every reason to think would create a generation of anxious and depressed students, and then we're shocked that they're anxious and depressed. So you, you, you call it, in your book, you call it uh, vindictive protectiveness. What is yes. that? What is Vindictive protectiveness is a little bit different. This is more uh, an aspect that we see on campus and closer to what, what, what's known as call-out culture, culture, where basically um, the goal, rather than arguing with people you disagree with in a constructive way, the goal is more or less to call out any you know, violation of your in interpretation of social justice on behalf, usually uh, not of yourself, but of some you know, mis mysterious, uh, not often mysterious, but some other group that you claim to be protecting their interests, but it's really, that's where you get like the campus shout-downs, the disinvitations, the sort of like the, the substanceless arguments where it's just about, you know, yelling about someone's privilege rather than addressing their arguments. And, and you talk about let emotions do your thinking for you? Yep, emotional reasoning. Um, and we point out that emotional reasoning is, you know, according to CBT, which I mentioned before, is a cognitive distortion. That basically, if you think every time you feel something, this is someone else's problem and some, someone needs to do something about it, that's, you know, that's a path to, again, a miserable life. And it's something that, you know, usually in maturity, you learn to, you know, you, you learn how to sort of self-regulate. And well, I, what, when you... Hmm? I've seen a lot of young people want to take up causes, you know, they... Mm -hmm. What about the poor? What about the environment? And they, and they just start yelling. They, they've never studied the causes of the problem. Right. Well, and, and of course, you know, they talk about um, you know, some of these problems that I, I think are serious you know, problems as well, but nobody benefits from people who only know how to yell about it and not how to think hard on how to actually fix it. Yeah, and relating to my kids, um, my wife and I are not helicopter parents, but we're certainly involved in what they do, and we'll right. always be involved. Uh, I don't care if they're 20 or 25. Um, so I think parents have to take responsibility on that in this new world of uh, connectivity where yeah. we, hear, we hear from, you know, the, the kids hear from their friends, or, you know, 24-7. We've got to be involved in their lives a, a bit more. And, uh, well, it's, it's interesting because... Part of what we're saying in the book is we have to allow more free, unstructured time. Um, so there's in some some uh, some cases we're telling people to let the reins go a little bit. But when it comes to things like social media, you know, having uh, not not just a, a policy within your own family that limits uh, your, your use of the internet and all that kind of stuff, because uh, it it turns out actually, uh, the best we can tell from the research, about two hours a day of screen time no negative consequences. But as you go further and further beyond that, that's when you really start seeing 
the higher rates of depression, the higher rates of anxiety, all this kind of stuff. But we, one of the real practical things you have to do is you have to find other like-minded parents, and particularly ones, you know, preferably ones that are, are the parents of your kid's friends, right. because it's really hard to do any of this if basically every other kid in his social circle doesn't have these limitations. But since parents know or starting to understand how much is at stake here, you can start having parents saying, like, listen, we're turning off our internet um, at 7 o'clock every night, um, you know, we're, we're going to be very strict about it, and we'd like, you know, you guys to uh, help us as well. Okay, so we have this world where today we have a future generation that's probably going to, I shouldn't say this, they're probably going to sit there being set up for failure, and that's mm-hmm. the theme of your book here, but is it the teachers, is it the parents, or is it the students? Like, which one came first, the chicken or the egg? You know, I, 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 it's one of those things where we, you know, a lot of times people think we're blaming the students themselves, and ultimately, you know, f- what students think is the fault of, pe- of parents. I'm a parent myself, uh, but also K through 12, I think, is, do- is making some mistakes. And I think higher education is an institution that could really be helping with a lot of these, you know, dysfunctional um, uh, psychological habits and making people more open-minded about, you know, you know wh- where people are coming from and be able to take other people's perspective seriously. But unfortunately, I think uh, colleges um, too often do the exact opposite. Right. And, you know, I, I grew up in a family of school teachers, and they're, they're not the most open-minded people. You know, they, they, <laughs> they live in a world of this is right and this is wrong. I must well go to church. Hey, what is a microaggression? A microaggression is a, is a slight, um, a, 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 un, often unintentional, sometimes intentional, uh, slight that is usually either racist or sexist. Um, kind of like when you just insult somebody uh, by saying something kind of uh, like uh, cloddish or uh, like a faux but pas. Like I was saying, as far as guys go, conversation is just nothing but microaggressions. Well, those, those might even be macroaggressions. Yeah, you know, like, like essentially, like, like when I'm when I'm teasing my my best friends, you know, like there's no question about what I'm doing. Um, microaggressions. It's kind of funny because microaggressions. I actually think you know it's good to study and figure out like how we insult each other without meaning to do it. But as soon as you turn this into a policy on a campus, first of all, you know, for, yeah, for the first a regulation. But they start looking like what University of California system has, which talks about microaggressions as including, and this is this is uh, this is still on, still on the books, um, things that include saying America is a land of opportunity, saying I think the most qualified person should get the job. All of these things are treated as if they're tiny forms of violence against uh, uh, against uh, uh, minority groups because uh, <laughs> I guess I guess yeah exactly it's insane partially because you know and the, the rationale is because apparently saying that anything is fair is somehow uh, insulting to uh, to minorities. I remember one of my class in high school, my classmate came in with a new pair of loafers. And we say, hey, nice loafers. Uh, speaking of loafers, how's your father? He, he, started, <laughs> he started crying, and we all got hauled oh. into the office for that. You know, We thought it was funny. The principal didn't. You know, The kid didn't think it. You know, but So we can't even go that far anymore. Oh, no. Uh, well, if, you, if uh, you check out the work that we do at thefire.org, um, it's amazingly easy to get in trouble for what you say on yeah, a college I- campus. Could you explain the thing? Because you started with peanuts. You had three main points to start, but one was the peanuts. And how does protecting, you know, what you call over-coddling, the coddling of a generation actually makes them weaker? And you use the example of peanut allergies. 
Yeah, well, the, the, essentially, like if you're not exposed to uh, peanut uh, peanuts, you, the likelihood of you actually developing when you're relatively young, the likelihood of you you developing an allergy to peanuts goes way up. It's kind of like vaccinating kids, and essentially, you have to expose them to you know, like we first discovered, we have to expose them people to cowpox to prevent smallpox. And what we're saying all throughout the book is that by you know by the kind of parents or administrators or K through 12 teachers who always uh, come in to try to settle conflicts between students for them, so they don't actually have to figure out how to act, you know live with each other one on one. We're creating a situation in which uh, the, we have a generation that is going to be looking to authority to step in uh, whenever there are even I'll relatively minor them. conflicts. And it's scary because because if you and that's one of the reasons why you know I'm perfectly willing to make this prediction. Um, uh, human resources departments are going to be uh, really overwhelmed in the next couple of years because if you have uh, people coming in where every conflict they've ever had with someone else has been, you know, uh, intermediated through some somebody in power, uh, they're going to be coming to human resources for things that are just normal everyday. Um, uh, give and take of working with people. So uh, one more thing that you know affects me because I love sports. How does this thing about because it really bugs most of my friends because they give trophies to all the kids now. What is, is that? Is that any part of this thing? Um, you know that that comes up a lot. Uh, the unwillingness to say that someone's like either a winner or a loser in something. Um, I've heard a lot about that. The, 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 I mean, I played football. I, I, I got some awards for it, but we, we also got a medal way back in the, you know, in the 80s just for being part of the team. Nobody confused that, though, for actually being um, like someone saying you're the best. Uh, so I, I think that that concern's been around for a while. I think it's more symbolic than real. But I do think that um, we do have uh, some students who end up coming to college having never really been seriously criticized, and that's that's a problem. Yeah, I was uh, I went to military school when I was eighteen. Were you criticized there ever? Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> Me, my mother, my father, my sisters, my brothers. I mean, if you, the good thing is, it made me it makes me stronger. Yeah, and I remember I, I was I was showing my company my second place trophy. And I said, this was the best thing that ever happened to me because it inspired me to take first place. Yeah, Do you know what I mean? I absolutely. Didn't, I, I didn't expect anybody to give me the first place. I said, okay, you guys, we came in second. Let's go for first. Well, it's kind of funny because some of the opponents of, you know, you know, who kind of want everything to be as, as nice and kind and soft as possible don't seem to get is that, like you were saying, when you t say it makes you stronger, that being able to realize that you can handle adversity, you can handle insults, you can handle interaction with people on a daily basis can actually make you a lot calmer and happier in the long run. Yeah. Meanwhile, if you don't think you're, you're up to this stuff, that's how you end up with, um, you know, the, the, the counseling services at universities across the country being overwhelmed. Yeah. So where are the teachers in this mess? The teachers in K through 12, um, were, that, that was something we wanted to look a lot more into. Uh, I wanted to, we wanted to spend a lot more time on what high schools can do and how parents need to look at what high schools are teaching um, about everything from free speech to civics to just how you interact with each other and what the line, where, where something is merely teasing and, where, and what's bullying to make that distinction. Well, well, um, let, let, me, let me tell you why. is because I have two friends, and, and I said, hey, you want to come on this program? They said, hell no. Yeah, Why? Because because their kids are always in trouble, oh, you know. Geez. And and they said, 
we're tired of dealing with the administration because they punish our kids. They take oh, wow. if if we stand up to the administration, the kids take the hit. You know, I mean, uh, the, the kids deserve, in my opinion, they deserved it. You know, one guy set fire to the school, but who was counting? Right? You, know? <laughs> you, should, you, you shouldn't set fire to the school. I'm not willing to take a stand on that. He just set off a smoke bomb. Uh, and, oh, you know what I mean? Oh. And it was just a kid's prank. He was like 12 years old. Yeah. And, well, that's, and the that, parents that's get in the whole, trouble. The parents get in trouble then. That's the whole zero tolerance idea, you know, that, that essentially like any sign of anything that could be of the slightest concern has to be punished. And it really <laughs> promotes a kind of mindless um, overreaction to um, relatively small things, which has a name in psychology, and it's called catastrophizing. And if you're someone who's in the habit of watching all the adults around you catastrophize, you start thinking, hey, maybe I should overreact to everything too, and that sure, that sure isn't good for you. And then my, my classmate, well, my roommate in Vietnam, he became a three-star general, and he says, we can't find Marines anymore. It's getting harder and harder and harder. That's concerning. Yeah. He says, boy, they're, they're kind of wimpy. So, Bob, any final questions? Because you're the one with the kids, not me. Yeah, I mean, my wife and I have taken the approach that uh, we want our kids to be exposed to criticism and whatnot. Both of them have jobs dealing with the public. That's great. Yeah, That's and good, so good training. Yeah, so one of them works at a uh, you know at a pizza place, and uh, she she comes home and talks, and sometimes she gets upset about how she was treated by the customers. But I tell her, that's the real world, and you're always yep. going to find that in any job you have. Uh, yep. My son, same thing. He works at a In and Out Burger chain, and um, delicious. Yeah, same thing. Just uh, really um, want to make them independent and see what the world is uh, for real. I mean, my son doesn't watch much television. He doesn't play video games like the stereotypical kid now is, uh, you know, looked at upon as far as. Um, that's how that's how guys like me see kids that everybody they're on video games, or I see I see parents sitting around the table and everybody's texting. Right. And yeah. We don't we kind of get away from that. What does that do? It's it's an interesting time. So, you know, Greg, I, I think if we're writing the book, the coddling of the American mind, how good intentions and bad ideas are setting up generations for failure just came out this year. And also yep. your website is thefire.org. Mm-hmm. And I thank you for doing your work and taking, having the guts to you know, speak out. Yeah, and if, and if your, 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 your children ever get in trouble on a college campus or you're a professor uh, and, and you happen to, look, look us up because we uh, defend free speech on campus and we've, uh, we, we, we usually win. <laughs> uh, right, and uh, just to remind everybody, Greg is a First Amendment attorney. He's a New York Times best-selling author. He's also president and CEO of Foundation for Individual Rights and Education, FIRE. So, Greg, you know, thank you for your contribution to society. You know, the question I ask myself is, Maybe I'm wrong and they're right. Yeah, maybe mm-hmm. we should just protect everybody and pretend the world is one big, happy, fluffy cloud. <laughs> you know, I think, I think that's actually a really good intellectual habit to ask yourself, maybe I'm wrong and yeah. maybe they're right. You should do that. People should do that regularly. But I just, it's really hard to convince me, though, that yeah. the solution will be that we, oh, we take more and more offense on smaller and smaller things forever. Because uh, at some point you have to well, be like, wow. Keep up the good work. I'd like to have you back because this is a discussion that I think we'll be having for a couple more years at least. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So, Greg, thank you very much. And we come back, we're going to ask Robert. You're listening to The Rich Dad Radio Show with Robert Kiyosaki. Don't be like Charlie. 
Charlie is that do-it-yourselfer who does himself in. Do-it-yourself is good for tile and grout. It is not good for asset protection. Charlie thought he'd save a few dollars forming his LLC online. With no guidance, he did it wrong. When he sold the property, he lost thousands and thousands of dollars. He did himself in by trying to do it himself. Don't burn yourself. Use Corporate Direct to set up and maintain your LLCs and corporations. Corporate Direct is owned and operated by attorney and rich dad advisor, Garrett Sutton. Garrett wrote the bestsellers, Loopholes of Real Estate and Start Your Own Corporation. He is Robert Kiyosaki's attorney for asset protection. He and his team will do it right. Visit them at CorporateDirect.com or call 800-600-1760. Mention Rich Dad and receive $100 off your formation fee. That's CorporateDirect.com. CorporateDirect.com. Financial freedom begins with financial education. Now back to Robert Kiyosaki and the Rich Dad Radio Show. Welcome back. Robert Kiyosaki the Rich Dad Radio Show. The good news and bad news about money. And we're now going to the most popular part of our program. It's Ask Robert. And you can submit your question to askrobert at richdadradio.com. So, Melissa, what's the first question? Our first question comes from Lou in LaPorte, Texas. Favorite book, Midas Touch. It says, I grew up poor, but it made me work harder to leave my bad habits with money behind. I see my nieces and nephews developing poor mindsets around money now, and I can't stand it. My question is, how much do you think environment affects whether someone becomes rich or stays poor? I think that's one of the more important questions that all parents need to ask because, I mean, just the other day, I apologize. I want to get him on this Rich Dad radio show because he's one of these social scientists. And he talked about rich dad, poor dad. And he says the reason rich kids are richer is because they grow up in a rich environment. And he says if you grow up in a poor environment, you have almost no chance of getting rich. And he says it goes on for seven generations. So that's the challenge. So you have a child right now who's developing bad habits when it comes to money. Parents give them everything. They're going to pass it on to their kids and their kids and their kids, according to this guy. And I'll, you know, Melissa, I'll get the name of this guy sure. so we can get him on the program because he endorsed Rich Dad, Poor Dad. But it did affect me deeply to have a rich dad. And it also affected me deeply because I went to a rich school for rich kids. And had I stayed in a, in a school for the poor kids, which was directly across the street from the rich kids' school, I kind of wonder where I'd be today. Because it was only until I got into the fourth grade at nine years old did I realize I was stupid and poor. <laughs> you know. And every time the teacher said to me, I said, well, what am I gonna learn about money? I said, I wanna be rich. She says, well, just go to school. I said, well, my dad went to school, he's not rich. So that was kind of the crisscross in my brain at age nine. But according to this one social psychologist is that it is passed on from generation to generation. There was this new study I was reading in The Economist this morning and it says that if you're a poor kid born in San Francisco, you have twice the chance of becoming rich than a poor kid born in Detroit because Detroit is so poor. So environment does have a lot of impact. What do you have to say, Bob? You have two kids. Your kids are being taught differently, right? Absolutely. After the influence of the um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad book and being around Robert, um, we've taken the approach that we talk to the kids about money, as your poor dad didn't do. Right. And they're well aware of what we do with the money and what things cost. And 
you know, the fact that they both work, they understand the, the value of money, um, and they're not just getting money handed to them. Do you talk to them about managing their money? Yes, um, as far as um, what they spend it on and all that. Right, sa- saving money, and you know, at least having something to, to something set aside. Right, and not you know spending every dime like a lot of a lot of young people yeah. do. Uh, just developing I, those disciplines. You know. Yeah, the reason I created the cash flow board game is so parents could teach their kids. You know, otherwise the school is going to influence their brains. So that's a big thing. You know, my poor dad always said, go to school and get a job. And as you know today, those people, you know, if if the predictions are correct and there's a 50% downturn in the stock market, many parents will lose their jobs. And that's going to affect their kids. So the idea of job security today is really an obsolete idea. And then when as many more people don't become employees, they become Uber drivers and you know free, uh, freelance independent contractors, then they're not going to have the benefits like retirement and health insurance and all that. So that's why we created the cash flow board game is so parents could teach their kids and, and parents could teach friends and people could teach people. But as we know, kids got to do a lot of homework and the kids are, I don't know, they're overwhelmed. So anyway... That's why we created the Rich Dad Company. That's why we have the Rich Dad Radio Show. So anyway, I thank you for being uh, observant of your nieces and nephews. Um, hopefully they'll turn and make make changes in their lives. I want to thank Greg Lukianoff and then Bob Turner for being part of this ro- program. You, you can submit your questions to Ask Robert at richdadradio.com. And I thank you for all listening to the Rich Dad Radio Show.